Well, hello there, and welcome to episode eight of the Musical Connections podcast. I'm your host, Zach Snow, and it's time to connect with more of Newfoundland and Labrador's finest musicians. We'll have a conversation coming up uh, just after this week's newfound releases with singer-songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, musician, and producer Dave Fitzpatrick. And uh, I'll talk more about that right after this week's newfound releases, so let's get to them, shall we? And we're going to start with St. John's-based alt-pop band This Day. They consist of Jay Walsh, Luke Spry, Alex Murphy, Aiden Fitzpatrick, and Henry Fitzgerald. They have been uh, kicking around the uh, local bar scene here in St. John's, and they have just released their single that they worked on with Robert Kelly. Right now, let's get to that, too. Here are This Day with Euphoric State, right here on Newfound Releases as part of the Musical Connections Podcast. Let's head over to Gander, Newfoundland, and check in with 21-year-old Adam Jeans. Now, he undergoes the stage name Janer, 
and is part of a music collective here in the province called To The Top Productions. Now, if they keep making great songs like this, they are going to be at the top in no time flat. Right now, here is Jeaner with Heartbreak to Bruises, right here on Newfound Releases as part of the Musical Connections podcast. Circling around in the news, yeah So send another message When you say that I could turn a heartbreak into a bruise, yeah Jainer, that is Heartbreak to Bruises. And right now, let's get to two guys that have been playing together for quite a long time. And uh, they just released an album just about a few days ago. And uh, it features them and a guitar and a microphone, and they just play away. The album is called Both Sides, and we're going to start with Larry Foley. Right now, here's a tune that the Punters covered in 1998 off the said she couldn't dance album and Larry strips it down for this tune 25 years later here's candlelight and wine right here on the musical connections podcast well I meant to call you just before I left to go away 
Guess you knew that's what I'd say by now Then again I'm never sure when it's the proper time of day We never get together anyhow Cause it was really nice to watch the candle through a glass of wine Dreaming dreams together when the quiet nights were yours and mine A pair of fools wrapped up in soft light dancing from the fire Till the morning light and whisper in the sky I keep thinking that you saw me in the park the other day when I have the time I go to where we met and When I'm on the road I see you in a crowd or by the way It's gonna take some time before I can forget How it was really nice to watch the candle through a glass of wine Dreaming dreams together when the quiet nights were yours and mine Pair of fools wrapped up in soft light Dancing from the fire Till the morning light whisper in the sky Cause it was really nice to watch the candle through a glass of wine Dreaming dreams together when the quiet nights were yours and mine A pair of fools wrapped up in soft light dancing from the fire Till the morning light whisper in the sky well, There's a party for some friends we both know Now I'm back in town, do you think? You could get there for a while Though we were never meant to happen Still it doesn't mean to say We can't share a glass and look back with a smile How it was really nice to watch the candle Through a glass of wine Dreaming dreams together When the quiet nights were yours and mine Pair of fools wrapped up in soft light Dancing from the fire Till the morning light and whisper in the sky A pair of fools wrapped up in soft light Dancing from the fire Till the morning light and whisper in the sky Till the morning light and whisper in the sky Foley with his take on a Dermot O'Reilly tune on newfound releases that is Candlelight and Wine. And we go from Larry Foley to Mike Hanrahan, the other side of the Both Sides album. Here's a song from him, his take on a John Prine tune. Hello in there, right here on Newfound Releases as part of the Musical Connections podcast.
Had an apartment in the city Me and Loretta like living there It's been years since the kids have grown Lives of their own Left us alone Now John and Linda they live in Omaha And Joey's somewhere on the road We lost Davy in the Korean War I still don't know what for Doesn't matter anymore You know old trees just grow stronger And old rivers they grow wilder every day But old people just grow lonesome Waiting for someone to say Hello in there Hello me and Loretta, we don't talk much now She sits and stares at the back door screen And all the news just repeats itself Like some forgotten dream That we've both seen Someday I'll go and call up Rudy We work together at the factory What'll I tell him when he asks what's new? I know that much what's with you There ain't much to do You know old trees just grow stronger And old rivers they go wilder every day But old people just grow lonesome Waiting for someone to say Hello in there If you're walking down the street sometime And you spot some hollow ancient eyes Please just don't pass them by and stare As if you didn't care Say hello in there Hello Hello in there Hello You know old trees just grow stronger and no rivers, they go wilder every day But old people just grow lonesome Waiting for someone to say Hello in there Hello Hello in there Mike Hanrahan for you on the new found releases portion of Musical Connections. That's a tune called Hello In There. Well, next to connect on the Musical Connections podcast is musician, producer, singer-songwriter, multi-instrumentalist Dave Fitzpatrick. Now, of course, one of the main reasons I got him on there is to discuss about the success of Heave Away as it was the goal song for Team Canada at the World Junior Hockey Championships this past December. But of course, it's that song that's gotten the band renewed popularity and, and even spent a time at number one on the Canadian iTunes charts. But we talk more than just that and the fables. 
go over his very extensive career to his time playing with his brother, Greg Fitzpatrick, to his short stint in Figgy Duff, to the Newfoundland Kitchen Band, where we find a young Mark Critch involved with the group, to working with albums with the likes of John White, A. Frank Willis, and Bud Davidge, to his Dave Fitz Presents series, and a whole lot more. It's always a pleasure to talk with Dave Fitzpatrick, and uh, we cover a lot in this conversation, so sit back and relax, and enjoy my conversation with Dave Fitzpatrick. All right, welcome back to the Musical Connections podcast. I'm your host, Zach Snow, and uh, for the past couple of episodes, you've been uh, hearing shows with a group of guests. Well, now it's time to go back to just the one guest, and uh, no better guest to have than with a group that has received some major popularity after the World Junior Hockey Championships as their song was used as the goal song for Team Canada. The Fables formed in 1998, and uh, it was a collection of Glenn Simmons, Darcy Broderick, Billy Sutton, Clyde Wiseman, and my guest today. He has also performed the likes of Figgy Duff, the Newfoundland Kitchen Band, DNA, Fits in Them, and he's produced albums for the likes of John White and Lloyd Snow. And... Uh, he has had a really long career, and I cannot wait to talk about it with him. Joining me right now on the line is Dave Fitzpatrick. Welcome to Musical Connection, sir. Hello, Zach. How are you doing, buddy? It's a pleasure to be here. And uh, it's great to have you here. And uh, I couldn't find no better guest, and especially after the World Juniors, where uh, the song Heave Away is uh, right now uh, number one on the Canadian iTunes store, which is insane. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's just been overwhelming with what's going on with that song. It's kind of like the energizer bunny it just keeps on going you know just when we think it's gone away it pops up again somewhere and and for the this this has been just crazy the last couple of weeks has been nuts my phone hasn't stopped ringing my my messenger has been going crazy it's people are so excited for us it's uh it's very uh, uh humbling and rewarding and i don't know how to explain it but it's it's pretty exciting <laughs> <laughs> i can only imagine how much uh, reaction you've got uh, from uh, people uh playing that song well at least uh, the people in halifax that have played that song uh, every time canada scores a goal and of course uh you know connor bedard and their team they were going to score a lot yeah what a player that kid is hey i, I just enjoy to watch them all the whole team was just fabulous so i was so joyed I, I was more joyed that they won than and and the song was just a bonus you know it was it, i still laugh when i think about it and, and of course my daughter took me to a growlers game in st john's with my granddaughter and and uh, we were sitting there and i thought oh god i suppose they're gonna play that tonight now and we didn't hear it all night and i thought okay i'm gonna escape it <laughs> and, and they won the game and all of a sudden i heard the drums clicks the my my sticks clicking and i knew it right away i said oh no here we go <laughs> and of course they played the whole song at the end and my granddaughter was going nuts poppy it's you it's you and <laughs> she blew my cover <laughs> yeah you're just like get me away from all this all this uh coverage that the song is getting i've had enough but you know even kind of but at the same time more excited and just joyed that that giving people that much you know enjoyment and uh yeah it, it's it, it's been overwhelming with the sport that we've had with the band right from the get-go really it's it's just amazing and uh one of my favorite parts about the song uh right at the very opening uh you know glenn uh, starts uh going and around tuning his guitar and then 
uh, I think it's you that says rolling, <laughs> and then in comes uh, your uh, drumsticks, and then uh, in comes Evil Hay. So uh, that's what I found the most funny about that song. Yeah, actually, it was the engineer. I think it was probably Spencer Crew, maybe, or possibly Gary O'Driscoll that said Roland. And that was our cue to start, you know. And so then I just started clicking the sticks, and away we went. <laughs> and I didn't know we were going to keep that. None of us really knew. We thought, you know, well, we'll we'll edit that out after, which we normally do. But we just left it. Uh, Heave Away was the last song we rehearsed for the Tear the House Down album. And uh, I actually didn't even want to do the song as much as I loved the song. And uh, I'd only heard it really once before, which had been released by the punters and they were, they had just released it not long before we did really. And I thought, you know, they just put this out. I don't think we should do it, you know, because they had just done it. And a few of the guys said, Oh, why not? Let's do our own version of it. So we sped it up and rocked it up a little more. And lo and behold, it was, you know, cause we needed one more song and we just thought we jammed it out just at the last minute. And, as a joke, and, and it kind of went on the album, and away it went. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it and, great it, and it ended up becoming your most popular song from that album. Absolutely, from all our albums, really. And uh, every time you uh, play a Fables uh, show uh, now, when are we going to hear Heave Away? <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's it's uh, it's amazing how the crowd goes nuts to it whenever it's played, you know, and the poor old local bands and, and bands all over the globe really have been hounded to death to play it in bar gigs and stuff you know night after night like a wagon wheel again <laughs> <laughs> you know it's uh, it's funny because julie and i were listening in the car she was looking up some stuff uh heave away on the internet by other bands and it's amazing how many other bands around the world have recorded it. a lot of irish bands have it out and i always know it's perversion when i hear and now we're bound for old St. John's because I think we were the first ones to use those lyrics. It used to be now we're bound for St. John's town. And of course, other, other towns where it was recorded by different people around the world, you know, have changed it over the course of time as well. But uh, yeah, it's, it's quite amazing how it's just still going. <laughs> and it's crazy to still believe how popular it is. Uh, just about like, I think it's 25 years ago now, which is insane. Yeah, it's 98. We released it, so it's 25 years old, from our version at least, anyway. <laughs> that is awesome. And uh, we're going to get into uh, later about um, how the Fables formed. But I want to start uh, with you. Of course, uh, you you talked about uh, Heave Away and how popular that song has gotten uh, again since uh, it was used at the World Junior Hockey Championships. And we'll get into uh, how that really got uh, used in the first place. But I want to ask how things have been for you lately. Uh, how's things been uh, going in the world of Dave Fitz? Things have been uh, great for me. I've been mostly spending my time in my recording studio, Zach, and uh, doing a lot of producing, uh, doing some writing, and uh, really enjoying the creative part of producing and getting other artists on the go and seeing the excitement in their face when they hear their songs done for the first time, you know? Yeah, and you were... And yeah, and you produced a lot of albums for a lot of people over the past, like, say, 20 years or so? Oh, yeah, for sure. And uh, each CD has about 10 or sometimes 12 artists on it from Newfoundland and Labrador. And some actually have some an artist, a couple artists from the mainland on there as well. So it's uh, it's been busy, you know, for, for uh, producing. And uh, it's what I enjoy the most, I think, of all right now. 
Yeah, that that is wonderful. And uh, it's giving people an opportunity to really get their music out there that really don't have that, like, uh, the confidence or maybe the money or something uh, that really uh, prevents them from getting into music. Yeah, you know, I try to make it uh, affordable for, for anybody and everybody. And, uh, you know, I always look around uh, the Internet and most, most years I'll pull somebody out of the hat or two or three and I'll just do an album for them and give them a break and say, here, take this and go and see what you do with it, you know? And, and, uh, that's part of what I do. I, I like to give back because if you don't give back in this business, you're, I think it's game over. You know, you've got to, you got to do stuff for people as well, you know, and give other people a chance because I know when I was young to get in a recording studio, it cost $150 an hour, you know, wow. <laughs> and it was crazy. It was, you, there weren't many studios, you know, and of course I, I spent a lot of time in Toronto and the studios that were there were, you know, multi-million dollar studios. So you had to pay a lot of money to use those things. And, uh, you couldn't go in without an investor basically. So, uh, we didn't get too much stuff recorded professionally back in those days, but nowadays everybody has a studio. And if you know how to use it and get a half decent sound, you can, produce some quality stuff enough to get played on some radio stations. And that's what I try to do for people just to get their music sounding as good as I can. So they can get some support with it, you know, and uh, it's so exciting when I see new artists get their stuff played on radio stations and see the excitement in their, their uh, Facebook posts and, and their, you know, all the stuff, their messages. It's wonderful. Yeah, that is wonderful. Uh, some more more recent stuff that I've uh, been playing on the podcast. Uh, one of those artists was to set the power, and she released her Christmas album, and, and uh, she worked on that with you too. Uh, it's great to see the reaction from them, and uh, from them just from having this on their face, and also just uh, from their their peers and from their friends and her family. It's great to see. Oh, totally. And and Asita Power, she's just such a fabulous girl and writer, and. Uh... I've actually, I've got almost 60 songs in the can recorded by her. Oh, wow. That's uh, and mo- most, mostly unreleased yet. <laughs> so uh, she's going to have her work cut out. She'll have enough albums for the next few years, for sure. That's wonderful. Now, um, I want to go back to uh, your early days uh, of your life, because uh, uh, you uh, were born in uh, Ontario, but you moved here to the province at age five. So first things first, um... What was life like uh, growing up as a young man um, who was born in Ontario and then moved to Newfoundland to, uh, you know, pursue music? Well, I was born in Toronto. My mom and dad, dad is from Newfoundland, Bay Roberts, Newfoundland. And mom is from Nova Scotia, Economy Nova Scotia. And they actually met on a blind date in Toronto and ended up getting married (laughs) in 1949. Wow. Which was the year my oldest brother was born and the oldest in our family, Greg. And, um, we had three sisters between us there after Greg was born, mom and dad had three girls. And finally she had a boy, um, the fifth child, which was me. And so my brother, Greg said, wow, I finally got a brother. Well, mom, I want to name him. And mom said, okay, you can. And Greg was in the music at the early age as well. And uh, anyway, he named me David after his favorite Keon, uh, favorite hockey player, David Keon, who was number 14 on the Toronto Maple Leafs. Oh, wow. 
And I was born on November 14th, so he thought, well, the 14th, number 14 is my favorite player. I'm going to call him David. So that's how I got my name, by my older brother, Greg. And when I was in 67, when I was three, Greg had a number one hit record that went to number one all over Canada with his band, The Lords of London. And uh, he used to have uh, these girls take me to his some of his shows when they, he did concerts in the daytime in the parks in Toronto or at the exhibition, I'd go and I, I remember at the exhibition one time my, my parents came and we all went to see Greg. There was about 10,000 people there and uh, the, before the band went on, the roadie lifted me up on the stage and put me behind the drum kit and I was only like four years old or something at that time. And uh, I looked way down at the bass pedal and I thought, oh my God, I can't reach that pedal. How am I, what am I going to do? He said, just pick up the sticks and start hitting. So I did. I started beating the drums and people started going nuts and clapping and screaming. And oh, wow. <laughs> I just, the, the louder they clapped, the harder I hit. And, and it was so funny. I'll never forget it for the rest of my life. And I was hooked ever since, you know, and, and, uh, I can't explain what music did to me as a kid. And, and later, when I first met Miles Goodwin from April Wine, he actually told me the first time he ever heard a drum kit through a PA system was in 1968 or 69, whatever that was, with the Lords. 69, 68, I think it was, with the Lords of London at the exhibition. Wow. So I, I don't know if it was the show that I'm, I think it was the show where the roadie lifted me up on stage. I didn't ask him at that time if he remembered a kid getting up on drums because <laughs> I was so uh, starstruck from meeting him, you know, and, and couldn't believe that he said that to me. You know, he was blown away when he heard my brother's band because it was the first time he heard a drum kit through a PA system. <laughs> that isn't so. Yeah, a lot of a lot of memories, uh, Zach. So then uh, at age five, uh, we moved back to Newfoundland to look after my grandparents, my dad's parents and Bay Roberts. And we moved in with them. And um, my brother would come home every Christmas and visit us. And he'd always bring me a new guitar or something to play. And, and uh, he always had a little four track recorder or reel to reel recorder. So he, he actually taped me, had me overdub instruments, playing different instruments on his four track. When I was 10 years old, I wrote my first song and played two guitar tracks, a lead track, and a couple of rhythm tracks, and a piano track, and a bass track, and a vocal track. And we, he showed me how you can bounce one, three tracks down to one so you can make a four track a lot more than actually four tracks if you mix it properly. And taught me how to record and, and do these things at a very young age. And by the time I was 12, I got offered a job with my mom's favorite bar band, my mom and dad's favorite band that were used to come and play the Legion and stuff. And uh, I said, yeah, I can play guitar or bass. They were looking for both. So they said, okay, well, we'll try you out. So I went with my $59 copy of a Gibson guitar in a green garbage bag because I didn't, <laughs> couldn't afford a case. <laughs> and uh, I went to the practice, and when I walked downstairs, there was a guy with a Fender Stratocaster and an amp, and there was a bass guitar and a bass amp because I had told him I don't have a bass, but I know how to play it. Anyway, they, when I got down, they said, we're going to try you out on the bass. Little did they know, I never really played bass before in my life. <laughs> oh, wow. And I picked the thing up, and while they were chatting, I realized, well, the first four strings are the same as the guitar. So 
and I know how to go bum, 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 bum on a guitar so I could do it on the bass. So I figured it out real quick and got the job. <laughs> That's crazy. So, yeah, mom and dad went to the liquor control board and had to sign a permit saying that they gave permission for me to do so. And one of the guys in the band had to be my guardian. They were all old guys in their 20s. <laughs> Yeah, it was unreal, man. And we t- we played every weekend somewhere at a, a, a Legion club or a, a nightclub around the Avalon Peninsula from St. Mary's Bay, St. Vincent, all over the place, you know, Branch and and Holyrood and Kelly Grews. And I was I was on the road every weekend playing, so I, I didn't get a chance to go out and play with my friends much on the weekends uh, until Sunday. And uh, anyway, yeah, it was it was a fun life growing up. And by the time I was 15 years old, I didn't want to go to school anymore. I just wanted to go to Toronto and play music all the time with my brother Greg. And uh, I drove mom so nuts that she called Greg and said, "Look, Dave don't want to go to school. I can't. He he just keeps coming home when I from school every day. He just says, no, I'm not going. And I want to play music. So." Uh, she, Greg said, well, send him up with me and I'll look after him and he can go to work with me. So I went to Toronto at age 15 and started playing bars all over Ontario every week, you know, mostly some, a lot of seven nights a week, you know, in a, seven nights in a row, um, many weeks in a row. And I never, ever had a week off for many, many years. That's what I did every weekend. I was in a bar somewhere in Ontario playing music. And, uh, at 18 years old, I came back home for a while, and that's when I joined Figgy Duff as a bass player and went on the road with them for six or eight weeks, playing one-nighters from here to all across the Maritime Provinces and back again. And that was a great experience. And then I ended up back in Ontario again with my brother, and we ended up going to California, shopping our music to record companies in Los Angeles, trying to get a record deal. Oh wow! And we, yeah, we. I lived there for three years, and we played all over, all over California. Well, not all over California, but parts of California. Uh, we lived in the in the mountains of Big Bear, San Bernardino Mountains. So uh, we played the ski resorts mostly as house gigs all every year. But we'd go down the mountain and play San San Bernardino and Riverside and places like that. And uh, after my daughter was born there. 34 years ago, she was two weeks old, and I said, time to get back to Newfoundland. And my wife said, where? (laughs) (laughs) She said, is that near Iceland or Greenland? I said, just never mind, we're gone. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, she was was my girlfriend at the time. We came home and ended up getting married, and we've been married for 33 years now. And uh, I came home and started making music again, and I've been home pretty much ever since. Wow, that is insane. Now, um, yeah, what was life like uh, just getting started in the music scene? I mean, of course, uh, you were performing uh, with Greg Fitzpatrick, uh, your older brother. And uh, you yeah. that's really how like uh, your early career got started. And then you had your break, uh, like your first uh, major break with Figgy Duff. But uh, that was only like a 68 yeah. week term. But uh, what was life yeah. like uh, growing up uh, in the music scene, getting, just getting started in there? Just getting started there with Figgy Duff, you mean? Uh, no, 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 just in general. Uh, just like, uh, what was it like, like uh, in those early days, just getting started in the music scene? Like, what was it like? Oh, it was so exciting for me, man. I was 15, 16 years old, and we, my brother was in a band, which I joined, called the Northwest Shovel Company. 
at the time. And shortly after that, like literally weeks, we changed the name of the band to the Fitzpatrick Brothers. Oh, wow. And yeah, everybody was on board with it. And we, that's that's what we used for years. And uh, that's what that's what we were, of course, Fitzpatrick Brothers, and which we always will be. And and uh, we actually released uh, two albums under the name Fitz. Uh, after a while, we, we shortened it to just Fitz. But um, yeah, it was exciting because uh, I got to play bars and meet older people all the time. And people at that time, the, the bars in Ontario were just busy every night of the week and we were playing everything from the black velvet band to uh the eagles you know we were playing the beatles and the stones and doing some old rock and roll some country some irish uh you know it was just a really fun time for me and getting to see different parts of ontario like kingston i, I we played the kingston penitentiary when i was 16 or 17 and uh, on the psychiatric ward <laughs> wow. and it was an amazing experience you know there was a couple of Newfoundlanders in there they said boy give us your number we'll, we'll give you a call when we get out and I said well I think we're just in the middle of moving there now boy <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what an experience it was you know going and pl- staying in hotels and eating in restaurants all the time and it was so much fun for me and, and then of course when I come home and join Figgy Duff we went on the road with a, a five-ton truck and two roadies and a, an extra vehicle for the bands and for us. And, uh, I mean, it was it just amazing. A bunch of gear and 32 big per 64 cans for lighting, which they set, set up every night no matter where we played. And that was that was the first real professional work that I'd done with that much gear, you know, and roadies people setting up the gear i used to go in and help the roadies set up and they were like you don't have to do this i said yeah but this is what i do (laughs) i don't mind helping and i always say now i still i still do that now i'll help the road crew set up the stuff and wire the stage because i love doing it i like making things happen and making it smooth and easy for everybody else in the band you know Mm -hmm. and uh, i always said i'm a better roadie than musician Like really, and there though, are many roadies that will, will agree with that. <laughs> yeah, like really, once you get bit by the music bug and uh, you get bit by like a certain uh, career in music, especially you being a roadie, like you can't stop doing it because uh, you're so used to it. Yeah, you know, I, I just like making things happen and, and making the show work and getting it done so we can get at the music, you know, most, most importantly, right? Absolutely. Now, uh, let's actually uh, move on now to... Uh, a pretty interesting time for you in the 1990s. Uh, of course, uh, the Newfoundland Kitchen Band. It's uh, one of your first uh, band uh, opportunities uh, with Clyde Wiseman, who you end up going uh, to form the Fables with. And then it also featured yeah. Kelly Russell and uh, Frank Marr. And uh, there's this one clip on YouTube that's uh, that has that has uh, Snook hosting a show. It was called, uh, I believe, Wicked Night Out. And uh, Ron yes. Budden and Mark Critch, who was really just getting his break into comedy, were on that as well. So uh, tell me a little bit about the Newfoundland Kitchen Band and how that got together. Oh, that was all Clyde Wiseman's idea. Uh, Clyde and I, I think, had been working together uh, in Fitz and Wiseman before that. Because i got to tell you, Fitz and Wiseman started out um, the Fables. I'll just go off track for a minute. The Fables really came from a duo called Simmons and Wiseman. 
And when Glenn Simmons left to join Ron Hines, he suggested I take his place playing guitar with Clyde, and it became Fitz and Wiseman. Oh, wow. And so that's when Clyde and I started working together in 97. And uh, was it 97? No, no, gosh, no, 93, sorry. 93, yeah. And um, we started Fitz and Wiseman then, and shortly after that, about three years after that, Glenn came back and wanted to join the band again. So I went back on drums, and it became Simmons, Fitz and Wiseman. So going back to the Newfoundland Kitchen Band, Clyde was the one to put that together uh, before Glenn came back to join Fitz, Fitz and Wiseman, we'll say. Uh, we went and done these a couple of side projects, like uh, John White for one, uh, which we can talk about shortly, but the, the Newfoundland Kitchen Band was Clyde's project, and that's where we started getting into the, the traditional music. Clyde said, I want to put something traditional together. So we did, and we toured all over the Maritime Provinces and uh, done some, some fun work and got offered the TV show with Snook uh, doing Wicked Night Out. And uh, during the John White benefit that I put together, I had a, a comedy group called Catfoot on it. And one of the guys in Catfoot was Mark Critch, who I took a liking to and really liked as a person and loved what he did. I found him very funny. <laughs> and we we hit it off. And uh, so I think somewhere along the way, I suggested we need to get Mark on there or Pete maybe done that himself. I don't, I can't recall exactly, but... Uh, I think we were working with Mark. Yeah, because Mark had come out with the Newfoundland Kitchen Band with the John White tour we did. So he was already a part of what we were doing. And so we included it on the TV show. And and it was just fun. You know, I had this disco version of Aunt Martha Sheep. And little did I know Mark was going to show up and take over the stage in a tight gold shiny jumpsuit and start <laughs> making us do the disco version. You know, of course, we were doing the real version. And the whole joke was Mark was going to break it up and say, "No, no, no, that's not the way it goes. We got to, we got to make this a disco song, boy." You know, <laughs> <laughs> and oh, it was so much fun, man! It was uh, the memories I've got are worth millions. You know, uh, that's one thing for sure. There may not be a lot of money in this business, but there sure is uh, a whole lot of uh, memories, millions of great memories that are worth billions, really, to me. I mean, and and to see my kids and and my grandkids now see this happening with Eve away. Whoa. It's a bit overwhelming. You know, it makes me happy that they get uh, to see some of the excitement. My kids have seen it, of course, growing up, you know, and my, my daughter Julia told uh, her daughter about that last night. <laughs> Funny, uh, when I used to go pick her up at school and knock on her door, she said, Lila, my friends used to run to the door to get Pop's autograph. <laughs> wow. And, uh, you know, she said uh, when it came on the bus, everybody were like jumping up and down. There's Julia's bed, you know. But Lila, you know, one day I was walking with her recently. She's only uh, seven. And she looked at me. She said, Pop, I got a question for you. I said, what's that, my love? She said, are you famous? <laughs> <laughs> I said, why do you ask that? She said, because somebody in my school said you were. <laughs> oh, wow. And it's like, wow. Yeah, that's what I said. Wow. You know, it's 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 uh, humbling and overwhelming for me at times. For sure. 
Now, um, we'll get into uh, an album that you worked on in 1997, and of course, it's with the late uh, Skinny White, or John White, and uh, you, of course, worked on this with uh, Clyde and Glenn and Kelly and Frank Marr, of course, the New Flying Kitchen Band, and then uh, when Glenn returned to New Flying after playing with Ron, um, yeah. that's when you guys uh, recorded the uh, John White album. Now, of course, uh, this yeah. album was called A Sigh for the Past, and uh, yeah. that must have been really something to work on, because uh, that was the last album John recorded before he passed, right? Yes, it was. Uh, I remember seeing him on the news, on the MTV News, saying how he was battling cancer and how he had made no money in the business. And I thought, what a shame this man is. I used to watch him on TV as a kid, you know, and he's come all this way in his life and no money. So I thought somebody should do something for him. And I called, I just Doug is, and I asked Clyde about it. I said, do you think I should do this? And Clyde said, Dave, you want to do that, man? I'll help you out with it, no problem. And uh, I asked a couple other guys, and they said, boy, I don't know about that. That's, that could be a real handful. John, John can be a handful, you know. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't really know John, and but I uh, never met him or worked with him. And uh, so I said, yeah, well, I'm going to do it. And I called him up, and I said, John, I don't know if you know me or not. My name is Dave Fitz. Dave Fitzpatrick. Oh, yes, I've heard tell of you, he said, which I, I think he, I'm pretty sure he hadn't. <laughs> but anyway, God love him for saying so. I said, I want to do something for you. I want to do a benefit and try to raise some money for you and, and produce an album for you and put it out and you make the proceeds yourself from it. And um, would you be up for that? And he said, oh, my God, yes, 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 yes. He used to talk so fast, he'd say about 20 S's in a row before he could say one, you know. And uh, he, we got together, uh, myself and Clyde, and started planning a benefit out. And, uh, of course, I, I wanted to put a band together to back up John. So I got uh, Boomer Stamp on drums and Sandy Morris on guitar and Glenn Simmons on guitar and Kelly Russell on fiddle and Frank Murr on accordion and Clyde on bass and myself on guitar. And we backed up John, and I got uh, Snook to uh, host the whole thing, Pete Susie, who gave us time to host it. And, of course, like I said, Matt, uh, Mark Critch was there with Cat Fudd, uh, Pamela Morgan, Anita Best, uh, the Masterless Men. Oh, God, uh, uh, there's probably Sweet Absalom was a band that were there. There was, hopefully I'm not missing any, but there's, you know, everybody gave their time for John. And we sold out the Holy Heart of Mary. Um, it was just an amazing night. And uh, then we took him uh, in the studio and recorded the album and put out a side for the past. And uh, I guess about six months after that, myself and Clyde said, let's take him out on the tour, you know, and do a little tour and help him promote his album. So we did that for, uh, I think we booked a two or three week tour and went out around some little places around Newfoundland and played. And Mark came out with us and did a bit of comedy on that as well. And I, I remember the last show we did, or we had two shows left, and we were up the southern shore. And John would leave the stage after, now I'm 64. And then, uh, of course, the crowd would clap. He'd go backstage, and then we'd start Bill Wiseman. You know that song? Oh, yeah, I've heard so of that what, song. Yeah, the wise when he got up in the morning at the break of day. Uh, anyway, <laughs> we started the song. John was supposed to come out and uh, sing for the encore, and he didn't come out. 
And we were, kept going, and I'm looking, and I'm thinking, okay, where's John? And anyway, I went backstage, and he was huffing and puffing so hard that uh, he couldn't finish the night or the tour. He started getting really, he started going downhill very quickly then. And so we, we said, that's enough. Cut the last couple of shows off. And uh, he died probably a year or a year and a half after that, I think after we had done all that. So uh, it was too bad, but I was so happy that I got the pleasure to work with him and know him. I got very, very close to him. And, uh, you know, I, when I went to his funeral, they wheeled in his casket and he wanted two gospel songs on his album. And I said, you can have whatever you want on your album, John. Cause he said, Dave, I'll do it, but I want two gospel songs. I said, no problem. And one of the gospel songs, amazing grace, was played as they wheeled in his casket. And when they wheeled him out, how great thou art. Wow. And that was two songs that I produced for him. Yeah, geez, I get emotional thinking about this stuff sometimes. You know, it's uh, it's been wild. <laughs> Pretty yeah. wild career. Yeah, for sure. And uh, it, especially with that John White uh, album that you did, it was the last thing he really did in music before he passed away. And a really just yeah. have that on your resume is a big deal. To, big deal for you. Yeah, I suppose so. You know, I, I never think of things that way, but I'm just glad I did it. You know, for sure. Now, um, let's actually get to um, what really uh, broke you through in the industry and really solidified you uh, in in the industry itself, and that is uh, the Fables. Of course, uh, you, uh, Glenn, and. Uh, Clyde, uh, I've played together for a good couple of years, and then uh, you managed to meet Darcy Broderick, who had just left the Irish Descendants uh, a year prior to that, and of course, uh, we were all introduced uh, to Billy Sutton, who was a really multi-talented instrumentalist, and uh, <laughs> and uh, you honestly, he can play this microphone, he could play my uh, my uh, recording console, he could play a broom, yeah. and it would still sound great, but um, yes. that, that's what really, uh, that fivesome was really uh, one of Newfoundland Labrador's first super groups because, of course, uh, Glenn came from the wonderful Grand Band. You came from uh, Fitz and uh, the uh, the Newfoundland Kitchen Band, yourself and Clyde. And then Billy Sutton can play pretty much anything. So uh, tell me how the Fables really uh, first got together. Well, once again, it was the master's mind that put Fables together, which is Clyde Wiseman. Clyde has uh, been responsible for not only my career and Glenn's career in a lot of ways and the Fables career in a lot of ways, he's just an unbelievable man to work with. And, and when he gets an idea and is left alone to put it together, he can really do some magical stuff. And me and Glenn and Clyde were playing together already. And when me and Clyde, when Glenn left, Clyde and I were making some serious money. And uh, when Glenn came back and wanted to play again, that's when the point five law came in for drinking and the bar scene died and the bar owners said well we're only going to pay this much take it or leave it and I thought oh man we're going to make less and add another guy on. Clyde said don't worry Dave it'll all work out so we started doing that and we actually did quite well for the three of us for three years I think it was before we put the fables together and when Darcy left the Descendants Clyde's always thinking of a way we can do something better and more special. Uh, so he asked Glenn and I, boys, you want to put something traditional together? Because I, I think if we asked Darcy, he might be interested in doing something. So Clyde called Darcy and asked him, and sure enough, Darcy came out to Glenn's shed, and we went in the shed, and 
started playing a bit of music together, just shagging around. Darcy went, wow, boy, I really like this. It was different for Darcy because we were kind of rock and rollers, and I was a hard-hitting drummer at that time, and Darcy was like, wow, this is different (laughs) from the Descendants, you know. Uh, It was a lot rockier. And uh, after a couple of weeks, probably, Darcy said, you know what, I think we really could use another player. I'd like to have another player there, somebody who plays other instruments as well. So I can, because Darcy plays other instruments, and it'd be nice for Darcy to play uh, mandolin or or mandola or guitar or fiddle. And uh, so he suggested Billy Sutton. And uh, we went, we invited Billy out, and that's when the five of us started uh, rehearsing. And we were in the shed for, God, months and months before we went in the studio and we were in the studio for that first album. Oh God, a long time. It was like 18 months or 15 months or something recording tear the house down before we actually put it out. We started recording in 97 and put it out in 98. And boy, what a, what a ride it's been ever since then. You know, the, the first show we did was the Newfoundland Folk Festival in St. John's. So we were, we had an audience of thousands of people waiting to hear us. And the anticipation was out there because everybody kind of knew us all individually, uh, certainly Glenn and uh, Darcy and, and Clyde and myself, you know. And uh, it, was, it was unbelievable how it took off right from the start. And the support we had, it was like if, if you didn't have energy, it was like if you were falling down, I felt. Newfoundlanders and Labradorians just with their arms behind us, carrying us, saying, come on, boys, come on, boys. Everywhere we went, they were there, and everybody took our music and shared it with the rest of the world and their friends, and it's just amazing how it's mushroomed out into what it is right now. Yeah, and uh, you've managed to make a really good career out of it. And um, I want to go back to 2000 for a second, because uh, you were uh, part of a a concert that welcomed the heroic Icelandiger uh, Viking crew uh, to Nordstead, Newfoundland. What was that day like? That was incredible. We did 11 shows around the province with the Viking ship. Uh, uh, Lansom Meadows, there was press from the BBC from all over the world uh, at Lansom Meadows when we played. That show was uh, viewed by, and I keep getting this wrong, but it was viewed by like 300 or 500 million people. I think it's 300 million people viewed that. It was a bigger audience than the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. What? And yes, and if you ask Wayne Goswell, he'll tell you the exact number of how many people viewed that that show when it was on live that day. It was incredible how many people saw that. It was amazing um, because we we got to be a part of this celebration. And, of course, again, every town we played, there was a built-in audience. Everybody was there to to celebrate the Viking ship coming in and the whole whole thing. You know, it was uh, great to to follow the ship around. And we we had a stage. It was like a half a million dollar mobile stage that they towed and set up in all these little tiny places on the wharf and Porty Grave is where we ended and, you know, set up a half million dollar stage on the wharf in Forty Grave. And they, they had to bus people in from the main road in Bay Roberts. They had the road closed off a massive, massive PA system and lighting. And, you know, it was just an unbelievable production. 
yeah, it was something I'll never forget. That's for sure. Yeah. Awesome. Now, um, you, uh, spent time with the fables, I believe until like 2005, because uh, I don't think you were on the recording for Kings and little ones. Yeah. You were recording, uh, you were with them up until, uh, St. John's, which was the last time you recorded with the fables. Uh, what yeah. caused you to leave them uh, for that period of time? And then, uh, of course you guys were, of course, reformed the original group in 2015. Um, what caused you to leave the fables in 05? Well, we had been on the road a lot for six years at that point. And, um, I've done a lot of traveling, had a lot of management trouble. Anytime we let, let somebody in to manage, it was, uh, sometimes things got off track and, and that's not necessarily a manager's fault because you got five individuals there that are all have their own opinions. And sometimes it's hard to work with five individuals. You know what I mean? With, with all different opinions. And, but most times when a manager had enough or we had to let him go, Clyde would, take over again and get things back on track so it was Clyde that really kept things going all that for the whole six years we were touring really and um, to the point where it was too, getting too much for Clyde to to manage and play because he was on stage trying to play and all these things were going through his mind of what he had to do or what he what he did or what he's gonna you know do after the show and so eventually, Clyde said, boys, I'll tell you what. He was so committed to this band, he gave up his position as the bass player to manage us full time. Oh, wow. And Yeah, and and so we brought in uh, Ian Chipman, who was a, a guy I've known since he was a kid. You know, I played at his, I took his father's place in his band playing when I was 13 years old. When Ian's dad got married, I played for him. Okay. <laughs> at his wedding, yeah. So I've known Ian and his family forever. So I suggested get Ian, and Ian was only 18 years old at the time. And I said, Glenn said, how old is he? I said, 18. Glenn said, no way, don't get him. I'm not going babysitting on the road. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, buddy, I'll babysitting, because I'll tell you what, the young fella can play. <laughs> and I went to bat for Ian, and Glenn said, boy, if you feel that strongly about it, get him over for a rehearsal. And he come over, and sure enough, <laughs> he got the gig, you know. But it wasn't the same as Clyde, you know, for me, losing Clyde's big, deep voice bass vocal. And him and I locked together for years on stage at already. So, I mean, it was it was different for me. And uh, we went out and we played for quite some time. And after a while, when Clyde couldn't take management anymore because it was just getting too much for everybody. And everybody were, uh, you know, just getting uh, frustrated from working so hard and trying to make ends meet and trying to get this going and that going. And, uh, it came down to the point where we really didn't have a whole lot of gigs on the books, like literally nothing on the books at one point around that 2005 or whenever it was I left. And, uh, I said, boys, I got to do something. Uh, I got a family to feed. I need to make a living. So I took my guitar and started going out and booking single work and booked myself up as a single started going back up to Labrador playing there for a month at a time. And I started doing well for myself making a living. And, uh, at that time the boys said, well, now's the perfect time if we're going to get another drummer to do it because we, we've got nothing on the book. So we got time to rehearse. So let's get another drummer and carry on. So that's what they did. And, uh, I think Darcy left halfway through Kings and little ones. And it was, it came down to just basically Glenn and Billy, you know, and after a while, I, 
we just thought, boys, we're all still alive here. You know, we're all, we're, we don't hate each other. Let's get together and play this music as the original band. And that happened back in 2015. Uh, we had a couple of years in there where we were doing well. And of course, then COVID came in and shut us all down again for, <laughs> so it put us on the sidelines again. But uh, that's basically the story. And I'm sticking to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you talk to either Billy, Clyde, Darcy, or, or Glenn, they'll probably have their different stories. But uh, of course, uh, it's great to see that you guys are, are still uh, on good terms and uh, are playing uh, shows, uh, you know, despite the fact that you really haven't played since COVID really hit, uh, to my recollection at least. But uh, Well, we, we did actually. We, we did two shows last summer. And uh, what happened, we played Mount Pearl on July 1st, Canada Day. Had a great day. It was 4 o'clock in the afternoon when we finished. Uh, there was about three or 4,000 people there. It was wonderful. Glenn flew in from Nova Scotia because that's where he lives now. And the next, we got off stage in Mount Pearl on the 1st and drove straight across the island to Marble Mountain and set up there for July 2nd where we played. And on that night, unfortunately and very sadly, Glenn injured himself on stage so bad we had to carry him off in a wheelchair. Oh, he wow. tore all the ligaments or all the tendons and nerves, all the everything around his kneecap, he ripped and tore so badly that he went back to Halifax and was on crutches for, I'd say, four or five months before they realized what exactly the problem was. Oh, my God. And then they put him in the, put him in the surgery back in October or November, just passed, and he's still on crutches and unable to walk or stand on his leg. So we've been offered all kinds of gigs, of course, since this Canadian junior thing has happened and we can't do anything about it because our man is down and we don't want to do anything without the original members really, you know? Yeah. Exactly. And of course, Bill, we're all, Billy's busy with another band as well. Billy's going over to, uh, touring with uh, Danu. He's, they're a great band. He's touring all over the world with them. So he, he's got prior commitments. And uh, so unfortunately, we've got to sit here and just hope that Glenn gets better, mainly. And uh, hopefully one day we can get back at it again, you know. Yeah, for sure. Uh, hopefully uh, Glenn uh, has a very uh, healthy, uh, speedy, but also safe recovery. Because I can't really imagine what that night was like having to carry Glenn out, which is pretty well, insane. Man. It was, it scared me because I didn't know what happened. I just saw him fall backwards and I thought, oh my God, did he just have a heart attack? And luckily it was, well, there's no luck about it. it sadly, it was his knee and I'm thankful it wasn't his heart, but uh, it was his knee. And, you know, like you said, all we can do now is hope and pray the poor guy recovers and is able to walk properly again because they're, they're really not sure because he, he did such a bad job on it, you know. Wow, that's pretty yeah, insane. Yeah, it was a sad, sad night for sure. So, uh, yeah, let's actually now go to um, a series that you've had about 15 albums for. And I'm actually just going to list off some of the albums that you've worked on over your career here. I mean, I did mention John White earlier. We've worked on the likes of Gerard yeah. Hamilton, your group DNA with uh, Tom Fitzgerald, I'm thinking it is. Uh, no, it, it's uh, my my buddy Tom Christopher, who I have to say, sadly, just passed away. 
at the young age of 59. He had just turned 59, and uh, yeah, he was one of my best buddies in the world. He We went to school together from grade one right through school till I quit in grade nine, but uh, all through like elementary school, we were best of friends and remained best of friends throughout life. And Tom had a stroke when he was 40. He doesn't have a musical bone in his body, never could sing or play music. But he started writing lyrics, and he brought me a copy song for the Tim Hortons and uh, said, can you put music to this? And I said, sure. Next thing I know, he brought me back 12 sets of lyrics. He said, can you put music to these? I said, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So we started, uh, and of course, I had to sing it and play it and do it all. So we, we started a project where... He'd look after me for recording everything, and I'd give him the CDs, and he'd go out and sell the CDs for himself, you know. And uh, we did five albums. So we just I just released right before he died. I got our fifth album release, yeah, which I was working on for two years because he was so sick and not knowing what he was sick from. He was just having a lot of headaches and couldn't write to finish the tunes and stuff. And uh Come to find out, he he had seven brain tumors, and uh, yeah, so he fought it for five months. They gave him three, and he fought it for five. And so, uh, my condolences to his family and his friends. And I'm sure going to miss that guy. He was a beautiful, beautiful man. So the DNA thing was a great project to be involved with. And yeah, I didn't mean to get off track there, but I wanted to let you know about Tom because. Uh, uh, how it was DNA, his actual name was Albert Tom Christopher. So it's D, Dave, and and Albert. D, oh, wow. and Albert. So it's a weird way somebody come up with it. I think it was him or somebody, but uh, we went with it. And I said, sure, well, it didn't matter to me what we called it, you know. But That's cool. uh, yeah. <laughs> That's cool. I wrote 63 songs with Tom in total on those five albums. We He wrote 63 sets of lyrics, and I wrote the music for all of them and recorded it and performed it. Nice. But again, yeah, uh, and I, but again of course, go uh, ahead. condolences to uh, Tom, uh, Tom Christopher and uh, to uh, his family uh, and his friends. Uh, he was certainly a very uh, wonderful man, I would imagine. Yes, indeed, yeah. He sure was. Yeah, and uh, now just going back to the amount of people that you worked with over your career, I uh, just have it right in front of me. I mean, you worked with the likes of Ray Lake, you worked with Terry Penny, Bobby Evans, you worked with um, Junior Walsh, you worked with Lloyd Snow, of course, uh, who we just lost as well, Bill Kelly from Land yeah. Sea, um, Rod Jackson, John Phillips, Ocean Sky, Greeley's Real, uh, I believe A. Frank Willis there as well. Yes. Uh, yeah, most, I've done, most I worked, worked on it. it. Oh, I loved A. Frank. I loved him like a brother. And uh, yeah, he called me. He said, "I want to produce an album for you." I said, "Good, sounds good. I'll do it for whatever you got in the budget." He said, "Well, that's perfect because I got nothing in the budget." <laughs> <laughs> I said, "Well, there's the price. We got it. Send me the songs or off to the races." <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, and that's how Great Big Moose in the Middle of the Road was born. I started it right here in this little room I'm in now, my little office. I didn't even have a great studio at the time. I only had a little 16 track. And so we ended up taking it to other studios. I think we ended up doing some work in maybe Clyde's studio at one point. I'm not sure, but uh, Clyde worked on it with us too as well. He, he played on a couple of tracks on that album. And 
it was great working with Frank. He was a good friend and he loved what I did. He, he loved me as a person, but he also really gave me a lot of praise as a musician. I, I don't know how many people I ran into since he passed that said, boy, hey, Frank used to give you some name. He used to talk so highly about you. And, you know, it always put a smile on my face because I, I used to love him. He, he'd call me and say, now, who's playing the drums on that song, uh, on that <laughs> well, track? I I'd say, well, well that, that's that's me. Well, who's playing the bass? I said, uh, that's me. No. He said, what about the guitar? I said, well, that's my next door neighbor, Mr. Bussy. Oh, yeah, I figured it was him, yeah. <laughs> he was so funny, man. And every time he come to Newfoundland, he would always come by and visit me and see me and the last time he come before he got sick, he was on Roach's line, which is very close to where I live, and uh, called my wife, and I was in a session at the time recording somebody, and she, she said, uh, he's busy right now, but I'll have him call you back when he's done. He said, tell him to call me as soon as possible. I said, all right. Or she said, all right. And uh, she forgot to tell me till about after supper, and by the time I called him, he was already in Clarenville by that time. Oh, wow. Heading back cross to get the boat but he wanted to come in and see me and I said oh man oh man I'm so sorry I, I wish I could have seen him you know but we did talk on the phone I, I spoke to him when he was in the hospital uh, just a week or so before he passed away and yeah we were good friends I love that guy a lot I miss him I really miss him it's hard to believe he's gone really another guy that I was a fan of as a kid and got to become close friends with you know uh, throughout the music Mm-hmm. And uh, and of course he he was he was Clyde's cousin. So uh, oh wow, there was a family. Yeah, not many people no know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yep. Because of course, A. Frank Willis uh, really uh, began his career uh, recording music in Nashville for all places. Because uh, of course, uh, yeah. his first albums with Hair Records, Getting Myself Together, and Welcome Aboard, they were all recorded down there. And he was working with the likes right. of and he uh, of course that's where he recorded the songs Take Me As I Am on My Own Grandpa. And of course, no reason to rhyme, and um, one of the great love affairs. Um, yeah. To have that on your resume too is a very another another one to have. But I know you don't think that way. But uh, it, it's nice yeah, to, you know, yeah. get to record with someone like him. Oh, absolutely! I'm so proud to have been a part of everything I've done up until this point. There's there's not one project that I've recorded or played on or whatever that I'm not proud of being a part of it. You know? Yeah, totally. Now, um, a couple more people that you worked on projects with. I believe you have a, um, you have a recording. You have recorded. I don't think you recorded with Pamela Morgan. I'm thinking of someone else. But uh, one one group uh, or one artist that you did record with was the legendary Bud Davidge of Simini. You recorded his Christmas album, A Christmas Gift of Freedom. Uh, what was it like recording with Bud Davidge? Oh man, I love that man so much. And uh, again, I have so much respect for for. I called him, I told him, I said, I want to do something for you and do an album or whatever you want to do. So uh, we went to work on his Christmas album and I did all the tracks here. Or, you know, I think Billy actually did some of the tracks on that album as well. There's a couple of great tunes there that Billy had recorded in his studio. So we added those on the album and I recorded, I think, eight out of the tunes that are on there. And he used a couple of tracks that him and Sim did as well, one or two songs that him and Sim had recorded years and years ago that wasn't released. But uh, working with Bud was just fabulous. He he actually never came in my studio. He did his vocals in his own little studio. 
in his own house, just oh, wow. on a little tiny piece. Yeah, a little tiny piece of equipment that he's got. <laughs> and just, I said, if you can get me a vocal that's a wave file, as long as it's a wave file, I'll I'll do what I can to make it sound right. And so he didn't even have to leave home. I sent him the music track, and he sang a vocal track, and then he'd send me back that one vocal separately, and I'd put it back into my studio and mix it and add harmonies to it or whatever I had to do. And I, I remember at the a few weeks before Christmas, he said, Dave, there's one song there. I, boy, would it ever be nice to have a children's choir on that? Do you think you could pull that off? I said, oh, my, let me see what I can do. So I, I called every school in Conception Bay, or almost. And, of course, it was before Christmas. They were all busy doing Christmas concerts and getting ready for Christmas concerts. But one teacher in Spanners Bay, the music teacher at Holy Redeemer School in Spanners Bay, took the time. And uh, taught her kids the parts that I wanted them to sing. And I went down my little uh, mobile studio unit and set up a couple of mics and recorded the choir, the kids' choir, doing uh, uh, Christmas Comes But Once a Year, I think. No, I can't remember the title. Uh, I think it's What Christmas Time Is All About is the track? Yes, that's it, What Christmas Time Is All About. Exactly. You got it, buddy. And uh, it was just so magical. I, I called Bud, I sent him a picture first of the choir set up, because he didn't know I had it arranged, and he said, well, I can't believe that, Dave, you got it done. I said, well, not yet, but it's being worked on. <laughs> so he was quite pleased with it, and, and uh, for me, an honor. Now, that that is something I'm very proud of to, to have done, because like I say, I am proud of everything I've done, but Bud has, has been such a inspiration to all of us, you know, and still is an inspiration to all of us because he's still out there writing and performing music. And some of the tunes, like that Gift of Freedom song he wrote, uh, just very, very powerful. And uh, I brought in a couple of friends of mine to play on that as well. Bob Angelo played steel guitar, who was one of the best steel guitar players in Nashville, who I went to Nashville and recorded with. I did one of my albums, the Fitz, the second Fitz album I recorded in Nashville with Bob at his studio. And so I, we became great friends. So I got to uh, send the track down to him and he put a steel track on it and had a lady who plays fiddle at the Grand Ole Opry a lot. She played fiddle on it. So wow. it was, uh, yeah, it was, it made it sound very professional to have their, their parts on there, you know? Yeah, that is wonderful. Now, um, the series that you really, I would say, uh, have really uh, taken as your own is the Dave Fitz Presents series, and uh, I believe you have about 15 of those albums out now, and I believe you're working on the 16th, or I don't know if you're still working on the 15th, but um, how did that no. uh, Dave Fitz series uh, come together? Well, I just thought I should, it'd be nice, a lot of people can't afford to record a full album, especially new new newcomers, you know, somebody just wrote one song, you know, there should be a way that that person can be uh, involved in a CD just because they don't write all a bunch of songs. And if they only have one song, they shouldn't have to go pay licenses to record another nine songs of other artists. So I was just thinking there should be something there for those people. And I said, I'm going to put up a post and see if anybody would be interested in having one song recorded on an album. So what I did is I, I made the price very, very feasible for them. I, I, I charge what I normally charge to record a song anyway. 
But what I did is include a hundred CDs in, give everybody a hundred CDs that takes part to sell. So most of them, well, if they only sell uh, 25 copies for 20 bucks, they've got their money back. So I won't tell you what I charge to do a song, but you can do the math. (laughs) (laughs) And they got 75 CDs left, 75 CDs left to make a profit and hopes that maybe they'll come back and do another song or maybe it'll inspire them to put it towards an album, which that happened a lot. So I just started in it volume one and in the first four years I did 14 of them and it was like wow and I met so many new songwriters and and, um, got to meet some people from Kingston Ontario and Kitchener or um, yeah Kitchener and and Hamilton area which all three did albums with me you know uh, from long distance so I'm actually starting to produce albums for people in Ontario and different parts i did some work for a guy in bc just recently and oh, wow a guy in a guy in florida just recently uh who had brent brent mason playing guitar on the track that i played drums brent mason is the greatest guitar player one of them in the world certainly the most respected in nashville right now and uh yeah so it's been quite the career you know and uh, the recording the comp cds has led to work doing a lot of other work like i say uh led to a lot more albums and um now uh, jamie taylor is an artist i think of he's been involved on i don't know how many of my comp cds probably the last five or six and some of them he's got two songs on so i also let people if they want to put two songs on they're welcome to you know and uh it's it's been really good people are everybody selling the cds or excited to promote the other artists on the CDs and all these other artists on the CDs are now connected on Facebook and have become friends. So I've watched all this whole thing really, it's, it's been really weird to watch it, how all these people are started, have started to connect. And now I have a friend who has a radio show in Kitchener, Ontario and it's out worldwide every Monday night. He plays nothing but Newfoundland artists and he plays Everything I produce, every single thing I send him, he plays. Wow. So I can, you know, it's just been unbelievable, the support that I've had in my career from from the artists and from people like yourself, you know, all the media. uh, It's the promoters, my bandmates. It's been, I, I couldn't really have asked for a better career. The only thing missing is, you know, uh, a big whole bank account to leave my family when I go. <laughs> They're going to have to sell every instrument I got just to, to survive. <laughs> I got a few instruments, so that's not so bad, I guess. I mean, I don't know if they may end up selling them and they make a profit off of that. <laughs> but um, <laughs> hopefully uh, you'll have enough money to uh, leave them uh, once you do uh, leave us. Well, you know, I, I as long as I've left them their health and 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 good memories, I suppose that that's what you can uh, that's all you can ask for this day and age. Hey? Yeah, for sure. Now, um, one of the best memories I've had over the past couple of weeks was uh, watching the World Junior Hockey Championships, and uh, that was really one of the best World Junior tournaments I think I've ever seen. Just simply for the fact that the energy and the atmosphere of Halifax and Moncton really made it very exciting and especially when uh, ever team canada scored the roar of the crowd that they would have uh it was oh, insane man. 
And of course, uh, whenever they would score a goal, it would go to uh, heave away, uh, of course, by the Fables. Um, how did you uh, guys first find out about it? Were you asked to uh, buy the organizers to use it, uh, or did it just no, like, did it no. just choose it? It just came out of the blue. I was sitting here recording, and I got a text from my cousin in Nova Scotia. He said, "I just heard heave away on the game, and they're they're actually talking about it." He said, I actually heard Heave Away on the game and, and they're actually talking about it and talking about the band. And so I went upstairs and of course it was, it wasn't on the channel, so I couldn't rewind it. So I, I put the game on and I went to the bathroom and when I came out, I could hear Heave Away again. And I'm thinking, oh, are they replaying that again? And she said, no, they just scored again. And I said, they're playing the song again. And that's when the, the announcer said it was picked for the goal song and I was like what I never heard of such a thing you know I've heard like the Toronto Toronto Maple Leafs used to play either way when they won but not not every song or every goal you know I never heard of a, a band or a hockey team doing that before and sure enough the phone started ringing or messages started coming in and I, I went online and looked to see what's going on and I said wow they picked our song for their goal song I still don't know exactly how it happened, but I think it may have had something to have uh, to have to do with the the young fellow there from Mount Pearl. You know, um, Zach is it Zach or um, uh, Zach Dean? Yes, Zach Dean. Yeah, because I, I, I think his parents used to come see us play out in Alberta, maybe because I think they were living out in Grand Prairie or somewhere at the time when we were on the road. Or, but I don't. Again, I'm not sure where it came from. Uh, I've heard it came from the coaching staff as well. So wherever it came from or whoever picked it, well, thanks for using it. I'm, I'm glad they did, you know, and I'm glad it brought joy to all the people in the stands. Uh, it was it was so great to look at the whole stands clapping to my drum beat to heave away, you know, and thinking they're clapping to my drums right now and they don't even know who the heck I am. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, wow, look at the, and everybody's singing it too, you know, it's, just all I could think was, I just wish the five of us were there and they could wheel a stage out into the middle of center ice and we could perform that song live at the gold medal game. Like, that's all I was thinking. You know, if they get to the gold medal game, how good would it be for the five of us to wheel out on a riser and play that song live for that crowd? It, we wouldn't have been able to hear ourselves. It would have been like the Beatles when they came to America, you know? Yeah, for and sure. and that I don't mean for that to sound uh, egotistical. It's oh just no, not crowd, at all. We're just so uh, the crowd were just so uh, <laughs> so energized, and uh, they were just amazing. I mean, how how pumped must those players been? You know. Yeah, for sure, and uh, they end up going on to uh, win the back to back gold medals for the first time since uh, two thousand nine when they won five straight. And I so I, happy I, for them. I stand by it. It's one of the best World Junior tournaments I think I've ever seen. And Zach Dean did play Great. a role um, in the, the uh, I think it was the semifinal game where he made an awesome feed to Adam Fantilli, who was scheduled, who was, uh, I think, set to be uh, in the top five of the uh, upcoming 2023 NHL draft. That was a right. really, really good feed. And uh, oh, I, I think I seen a tweet oh. a while back uh, where uh, some of the top three feeds about Pearl. I think one of them was Acropolis Pizza, and the last one was uh, Adam Fantilli. Zach Dean to Adam Fantilli. Right. Wow. He's, he, the team was 
blew me away. I, I it was so much faster than any NHL game I've watched lately. It was just amazing how quick these kids are, and the goaltending was just so great on all the teams. The goaltending was pretty darn fabulous, you know. And um, yeah, it was overwhelming to watch them win and see the excitement and how hard they worked. And that Bedard kid, he's going to be—he's he, already better than Gretzky to me, and. Uh, He's only uh, 17 years old, you know? I wouldn't say that yet until he plays an NHL game, my friend. Well, I can because I, I met Gretzky and got his autograph and he bought me a beer and danced to my music all night. So I got to rub it in for, for him <laughs> in case he hears this. <laughs> Absolutely. And you'll be hearing us on Apple and Spotify and wherever you get your podcast. Now, um, of course, uh, Dave, uh, we've uh, talked about a lot of things throughout your career. But um, the one thing I just want to ask you now uh, to wrap up... Uh, What's next for Dave Fitz? Well, I'm uh, still producing music all the time and looking for new artists to produce. And uh, myself and Clyde Wiseman, the master man, is thinking about doing something musically again soon. Uh, so who knows what can happen? We, we've got some things that we're talking about. And we're, Clyde and I are always wanting to work and get out on the road and play for the fans and do what we do because we love to play music, you know, so uh, we're hoping to put something together in the, the near future and uh, have a new project to share with Newfoundland and Labrador and the rest of the world. That'll be wonderful. And uh, for people who want to find out more about what you got coming up next, Dave, uh, where can they go? Well, the only place you can find me anymore is on Facebook and that's where I do all my social media. It's where I connect with all my fans and my friends and, you know, that's that's pretty much it. Well, Dave Fitzpatrick, uh, it's been an absolute uh, pleasure to chat with you about your entire career. And uh, from, like, again, your time with the New Flying Kitchen Band and Figgy Duff to the Fables to your Dave Fitz series. And, uh, of course, uh, the Fables experiencing a brand new popularity with the, the usage of Heave Away at the World Junior Hockey Championships. Hopefully it leads to more gigs for you guys. And uh, once Glenn does get uh, 100% better and then Billy finishes his time with uh, Danu, um, I'm super excited to see what you got on the go next, Dave. And uh, thank you again so much for coming on the Musical Connections podcast. It's been a pleasure to have exactly. you on again. And um, all the best to you with whatever's to come in the in the new year. Man, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Uh, uh, from the first time I met you, I was very impressed with you as a young man. And thank you for supporting all us local artists, because without you, nobody knows who we are. So thank you and keep up the great work that you're doing. Come get your duds in order, cause we're bound across the water. Heave away, me jollies, heave away. Come get your duds in order, cause we're bound to leave tomorrow. Heave away, me jolly boys, we're all bound away. Sometimes we're bound for Liverpool, sometimes we're bound for Spain. Heave away, me jollies, heave away. But now we're bound for old St. John's where all the girls are dancing. Heave away, me jolly boys, we're all bound away.
to see me heave away. I mean, jolly boys, we're all bound away. Sometimes we're bound for Liverpool, more times we're bound for Spain. Heave away, me jollies, heave away. But now we're bound for old St. John's, where all the girls are dancing. Heave away, I mean, jolly boys, we're all For Liverpool, sometimes we're bound for Spain. Heave away, me jollies, heave away. But now we're bound for old St. John's, where all the girls are dancing. Heave away, and me jolly boys, we're all bound away. Sometimes we're bound for Liverpool, more times we're bound for Spain. Heave away, me jollies, heave away. But now we're bound for old St. John's, where all the girls are dancing. Heave away, and me jolly boys, we're all bound away. Heave away, and me jolly boys, we're all Well, that is going to do it for this episode of the Musical Connections podcast. Thank you to Dave Fitzpatrick for coming on as my guest this week. I certainly had a great time catching up with Dave Fitzpatrick and going over his entire career, and he has had a very successful one that I am sure of. Thank you so much for connecting. I certainly hope you enjoyed the podcast. Make sure to give it a like and subscribe, and also leave a comment there because it really helps the show out a lot. I've been your host, Zach Snow. If you want to become a guest on the podcast, and if you got a song to share for newfound releases, email musicalconnectionsnl at gmail.com. Stay safe and please be kind to one another. And until next time, safe home.